Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series in the hospitality tabletop industry. This podcast was originally published on the week of June 1st and runs for approximately 35 minutes. Now here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Seat Yourself, our weekly podcast covering the world of hospitality and specifically tabletop within the world of hospitality. It's Monday, June 1st, and this is our episode number 78, if you can believe it, of Seat Yourself. And it's our 12th in our On the Front Lines miniseries. Now, originally, we had planned to talk about the various reopenings that are beginning to happen with restaurants, both here in the U.S. and all around the world. And to do that, we had invited friend of the show, Greg Kirish, back to speak more about the U.S. openings and with the various regional and state protocols that restaurateurs here are having to follow. But then, over this past weekend, things here changed in the U.S. with protests erupting in a variety of cities, both large and small, all across America. And all of which are certain to have an impact on dining out in restaurants, both in the cities where the protests have been happening and beyond. So our conversation with Greg will be a bit different than we had originally planned. However, we still will address some of the more general challenges that restaurateurs will be facing as the hospitality world begins to reopen both here in America and around the globe. And of course, we will address the protests and their impact. So with all of that, I want to welcome both you and Greg Kirish back to our On the Front Lines miniseries here on Seat Yourself. Hey, everybody, we're back here with Greg Kirish on Seat Yourself. Greg, we love having you here. You were, you're here, it seems like, lately in the first part of each month, and it's a great way to kick off a new month and a new episode of Seat Yourself, and welcome to June. Happy June to you. Happy June to you. Thank you. It's great being with you. Hey, Greg, today I want to talk about this reopening, and my original intention was is to go around in different parts of the world because there's some similarities, but there's there's some differences, and I still want to do a little bit of that, that general reopening and all the challenges that restaurateurs face right now and in different parts, and I wanted to talk with you specifically about what's going on in the U.S. because on our other podcast, every other Thursday, you've had some great comments and great insights into some of the challenges and the issues that restaurateurs will face. And I want to bring those forward to this episode of Seat Yourself. But in the last few days with the protests that started in Minneapolis, we've seen a spreading, if you will, across America in different cities of protests, some disruption in the, in the inner cities in a lot of uh, places, some, in some cities not so big. But that's another whole topic in itself of, of what's going to present a challenge, certainly to urban restaurateurs. And I want to talk about that too. I, we, we can't have an episode here on Seat Yourself and not address and talk about the challenges that restaurateurs are facing without bringing that up. But I want to start off, at least anyway, with the specifics of what you're seeing in different areas and what some of the, I would call it logistical challenges in terms of everybody's talking right now, it seems like, about dining outside. I don't think it's as easy to set up dining outside if you haven't done that before. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's not just like flipping a switch. It's like, you know, you have to set it up and, and then you have to go through all the protocols of the outside also. So with the gloves and the washing everything down and all those type of small or but not insignificant practices, it's not insurmountable to do them, of course, outside, but it's just another 
challenge to figure out how to do them outside. So there is there is thought that that has to be put into it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see that in some cities they're requiring temporary outdoor dining licenses. And I'm thinking, geez, that's just another bureaucracy level to get over, to get through, and probably some sort of revenue stream for the local uh, municipalities, whatever. But, but I think that the general obstacles of training your staff on new procedures and policies and protocols and just getting back up and running in general, let alone dining outside, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles for operators to overcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, but it's different all over the country. My daughter just graduated, I think, from the University of Missouri a week ago. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean you think? Yeah, well, because there was no ceremony, no, oh, okay. there, I, no, no email. It was just, she's one of the unfortunates of the, the 2020 class. So we went down to pack her up. I just got back yesterday and going to Missouri was like going to another country. I've been hunkered down here in Chicago for the last 10 weeks. And we're under quite strict rules and protocols here. And the restaurants just are now opening up. And I went into Missouri and it's like wide, wide open. Not that they don't have some rules. I mean, the tables seem to be spaced, but masks are voluntary there. And it felt almost normal, especially coming from the Chicago area. And I was asking, I went to several restaurants and granted this was in medium-sized city, college town, Columbia, Missouri. And I was talking to the wait staff and the owners and everybody said, yeah, they're actually holding their head above water. And with the, actually with the rules and protocols there, they said they can handle it. And they, so far as to say, they were doing well. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's one pocket. That's great. But then, you know, you can't just take a broad brush and look at the entire country. You know, there's hot spots and and population density issues, and now, of course, social unrest. And, you know, you start multiplying these. So it's hard to speak about it with, again, with a broad brush, because there's going to be areas that are almost seem, quote unquote, normal, and others that are still, you know, locked down and, and, and pose terrific challenges for uh, operators. Yeah, and, and I think the whole issue of reduced seating capacities indoor, I think that really makes it not only difficult from an operational standpoint, but I think it changes the whole vibe, the atmosphere of why we go out to dine. Well, I, I, I would think so, too. And I'm just going from my own experience, though, when I was in Columbia, Missouri, at several restaurants, it, I really didn't. It, there was the tables six feet apart. There was, they had enough traffic that it didn't feel didn't feel odd there were people there was enough chatter background noise white staff moving around that it felt it actually felt quite comfortable i i would imagine that that wouldn't that would not always be the case it depends upon uh, obviously how many people were sitting at those uh, at those tables that are separated yeah i mean i think when you get into well, let's call them more uh, high-density restaurants, high-density location restaurants with their small number of seating anyway. I think it becomes a little trickier, uh, probably less availability of sidewalks to temporarily use or maybe permanently use. But if you've got to accommodate 50% fewer people 
in the near term, I think that that changes the whole dynamic of everything from ordering your foodstuffs and your beverages to uh, the number of people that you bring back and, and employ. And I, I think it gets a lot trickier than, than most of us would realize. Uh, I've not been a restaurant uh, operator, but when you talk to them, you get a sense of they're going to give it their best shot, but it's still going to be a real tall hurdle to get over. So absolutely. I'm not trying to whitewash this even, you know, it, it felt good. People said that things were going well, but it's a long, tough slog. Yeah. And I, and I think that what we're seeing here and too, this, this whole concept of outdoor dining, I, I think uh, we can all take a few cues from uh, our European counterparts because I think cafes and outdoor dining has been sort of just part of life for a lot of European cities for, for a long time. So they're a little bit more used to it. Uh, but when you start going into, uh, into cities like uh, Las Vegas or, or uh, Portland, Maine or something, it's not so ingrained in our culture as it is. And, and then you have the issue of weather, of course. Well, and, and again, back to, my, back to my one example, not only is it not ingrained, and it doesn't appear to be ingrained in Columbia, Missouri, the sidewalks just can't handle it. The city just wasn't built that way. However, there was rooftop on a couple of places. And, you know, that's, that's been just kind of brought in the last couple of years. And thank goodness for those operators. Now, I know nearby us, we're, of course, coming uh, from our studios here in Baltimore, Maryland. But nearby us in Annapolis, they talked about shutting down the streets and dining out right in the streets. And they use the term dining under the stars to market it. But that's not as easy either from a serving standpoint, from just a, again, a logistics. And then, of course, what do you do with the traffic that was normally going up and down that street? Yeah, and just getting the people there. They, they, drive, they drive cars to the place. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, again, we could sit here and I think probably make lists and lists and lists of all the, of all the challenges that go on and on. But at the end of the day, I guess the, uh, what I see is that guests want to go out. Which is what, which is, I think, the key fundamental thing. There are customers out there with money that want to go, that want to go out. So, how can you attract and serve them? Well, the things that I want to get into also are the, as I said in our opening, I, I want to talk a little bit about the unrest and the protests that have, I'll use the word erupted, but have at least have started in the last handful of days and what that impact will be. And then I also want to follow up to what about suppliers to restaurants? What are they to do in these, these kinds of days and times? But let's start with the inner city unrest, for lack of a better word. It is not just in Minneapolis where it started. It, it seems like it's now uh, spread to lots of places. I'm sure Chicago is no different. But from coast to coast, whether it be Portland, Maine, as I mentioned earlier, to the west coast of the U.S., you've got a lot of cities. Not all cities. Let's put it that. Let's let's be clear about that. Not all cities are doing this, but there's a lot of them. And and is in Washington D.C. I know the other night they closed down a major part of the city. There's a lot of curfews installed. What do you think the impact is to the dining, the psyche of the diner? That was that was hungry to go out after being sort of quarantined with COVID nineteen coronavirus, and now was ready to go out. Where do they go now? Well, it's throwing a, a huge complication into the equation. You know, like you said, I think people were really here in Illinois, especially where the restaurants were starting to open up today. 
People are really looking forward to it. And all of a sudden now, the question is, am I safe? Am I going to go? Can I go? The loop here in Chicago is a no-go zone. The ramps from the highways are closed. All the drawbridges are up. There's no train service. There's no L service. Can't even get there. And that's where tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people live and work and are served by restaurants. And these people are all looking forward to going out. But I think longer term, okay, that's like this week. That's like today. But longer term, it's got to affect people's psyche too. Who's going to want to travel to areas that seem to be hot spots or have been in the, in the news. And these are, you know, not picking on anybody, but you got to ask Minneapolis, is that going to be a big tourist destination for the next, for this summer? I question it. Yeah. Minneapolis is a great restaurant town too. Yes, it is. It is. It's a great restaurant town. And I really feel for those operators because just here is, so, so to answer your question, I think this has got, it's got to have long-term effect. Now, what, is long, what does long-term mean? Uh, you know, here we were starting to come out of the COVID lockdown, at least for now, and you put this on. I think we're, we're looking at trouble well into the f- fall and probably winter, at least. Yeah, I, I want to be clear, too. It's not just uh, larger cities, New York, San Francisco, no. uh, Minneapolis, and things like that. It's not just what we'll call it uh, top-tier cities. There's an incredible video that's gone viral, I'm sure, uh, of Charleston, South Carolina. And somebody took walking down the streets and actually a participant in some of the protests and the window breaking and showing protesters walking into a restaurant. And I don't have the name of the restaurant exactly, but they walked into a restaurant where there were diners sitting there eating, which is great. We, we love it that diners are back sitting and dining in, but then they disrupted and people, uh, there were a, a group of 20 or 30 uh, protesters walked in and started taking things and eating food off people's tables and then throwing flash bombs on the floor. So that's a little bit more than disruption and protesting. That to me goes well beyond that. And I'm sure if patrons are fearful that those types of things are going to happen, it's unlikely uh, that they're going to return anytime soon to those types of restaurants or, or, or to that area of a, of a city that's normally very friendly and very food service and uh, oriented. Charleston, South Carolina. There's, I mean, when I think of hospitality, I think of Charleston, South Carolina as being one of those cities that sort of epitomizes that. Absolutely. And now you've got a, uh, a video gone viral and, and that won't easily go away. I wonder if the people, I don't want to get into a political discussion, but I wonder if, if the people that do these things and take these videos, if that's exactly what they're trying to uh, accomplish. The restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, by the way, was one called Oku. Spell that, Dick. Oku. O-K-U. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Donovan Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you're not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's quick and easy to sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important goings-on in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. We constantly talk about why people 
go to restaurants on here on these podcasts and it goes way 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 beyond sustenance people don't go just to eat it's they they want a feeling of warmth of community of fun of being part of a group and that's being really destroyed in a lot of in a lot of places and when the trouble is is that once that goes away it's hard to bring it back so people if if, if they're worried they're not good they're not gonna go let me ask you a question about uh, delivery and carryout. I know that's been a, a big topic. Everybody's tried to pivot to that during the coronavirus situation. But does the current events that are, we're seeing on TV play out all over uh, uh, from coast to coast here in America, in a lot of cities anyway, does that extend the popularity of delivery and carryout as a viable option to keeping uh, restaurateurs operational, successful, profitable? Is delivery and carryout really a, a long-term option? I think it is, especially given what we're, our discussion here. People, if people are worried or can't go out, you know, and they want the food that they can't make at home, and they can get it. And again, if they can get it at, at the right price, I think obviously it's going to, it's going to, it's very viable. And now here in Illinois, at least in, here in the Chicago area, now restaurants can actually uh, deliver mixed drinks. And so the government uh, municipality rules are making it easier and for operators to be to be profitable and to, and to deliver the goods that people want. And so to answer your question, it's just making that whole concept better and better. Well, I know there's a, a research firm called NPD, and they put out various market research uh, data all the time. And while restaurant traffic was obviously down in March and April of this year, overall the traffic into restaurants, uh, during the month of April, they just reported that digital operating for restaurants was up over 100% versus a year ago. So so I think people are getting into that, that mindset of ordering via uh, my phone or an app or at least a, a computer and then going and picking the food up and taking it away. Or having it delivered through one of the uh, delivery services. I mean, there's no end to the delivery services such as Grubhub, DoorDash, and, and others, these third-party people. And they're, according to NPD, their business is up over 200% in that same month. Mm -hmm. So no surprise there. What should suppliers to restaurants, and we're obviously talking, we, we focus on the permanent tabletop sector, but what should suppliers how should they react during this time? Is it just to tread water in any way you can? Are there things that you can think of that, that uh, you would recommend that restaurant suppliers, whether they be dealers such as an Edward Don, who uh, our sponsor, Edward Don, is uh, you know getting ready to celebrate its 100th year of supplying restaurants and hotels. But, but how should suppliers in general, whether it be an Edward Don type dealer or distributor, or, or maybe a manufacturer of tabletop products, what, what can they do? It's tough. Now, again, to back to my example of Columbia, Missouri, where I saw a, a feeling of normalcy, the same tabletop issues we always talk about are in play, where you're, you're trying to add ambiance and fun. Believe it or not, the word fun still exists out there. And utility, obviously. All the things that we've, we've, we talk about all the time on these podcasts regarding tabletop. So that's important there. And if that's happening in Columbia, Missouri, it must be happening in many other 
locales, areas in the, in the, in the country. But in a you know, severe lockdown situation, there are challenges. And, and now with the outdoor dining, the questions come up, what can Tabletop do to better serve that, that function? What's going on outdoors? Well, you don't want the things, you don't want the dinnerware to blow away. You want it to often be covered, you know, so we're talking about perhaps our old friend cloches that yep. we've been talking about, you know, with the insects and wind and everything else that happens outdoors, you know, what can you do to cover the food? And, and so think through the process of what it takes. And we're going back to the beginning of this podcast where you asked what's going on and how do operators start uh, selling outdoors? Well, you know, okay, let's discuss every step that it's going to take to better serve the guest outdoors. I mean, so is that the weight, the weight of the dinnerware, the size of the dinnerware, are tables smaller out there? Is there an ambiance issue? Like, do we want something more festive, summery in terms of design? There's a million angles and everyone could be thought through. And in the end, uh, it's just like it always is to it. It's to better serve and attract the, the guests and who want who really want to be there. I could see that uh, a couple of categories that might have some real potential to benefit from some of this. And certainly one would be table lighting. I think table lighting, if you're going to do start doing outdoor service and you've never done it before, I think there's some phenomenal and, and table lighting is one of those categories that just kind of just goes along and we don't pay a lot of attention to it at Tabletop Journal, but we, we have addressed it before. And I, I, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, I always say this, but because it's a great, <laughs> great category, but we should pay more attention to it. And I think maybe now is a great time to, to, to think about that because I think table Table lighting does an awful lot to change any kind of ambience. You could put me in a parking lot, I think, with lots of traffic around it. But if the lighting was great and you had a little canopy, maybe an umbrella or something over the top, uh, sort of to close it in and give you a feeling of being uh, a little bit privatized without, without being closed off. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think ta uh, table lighting is, is one of those categories. I also think the, the category of melamine dinnerware, to address a point you brought up a minute ago, it's a little bit lighter. And I think I think uh, melamine has options because certainly I think in the near term disposable single service ware is an option for a lot of restaurateurs as they begin to deliver outside. But I think the issues of heat presentation and finally uh, cost and storage will probably limit the use of disposables over the long haul. But it is certainly to transition into into another answer on outdoor dining. I think disposables can do it, but I think melamine may offer that permanent, and I'm using air quotes that, that our listeners cannot see, but I think that melamine dinnerware uh, can offer that longer term return to that great presentation, fun, address the lightweight issue, address the storability, and the dishwasher safe kind of thing. Uh, so those are just two categories that I think offer a lot of potential. And of course, you've got great, some great polycarbonate drinkware. Uh, you know, the, the plastic drinkware has really, and I use plastic in a generic sense because there's various types, Triton, polycarb, I got all that. But plastic drinkware has really come a long way in the last handful of years. And, and a lot of suppliers uh, have some great options in that category as well. So there's maybe a third category too that can benefit a little bit from the outdoor dining move. I want to end 
our session today, Greg, with some interesting thoughts from an Australian restaurateur. How about that? Okay. Going all the way down under. And this gentleman named Chris Lucas was speaking to a uh, publication down there called Good Food. And Good Food uh, covers the restaurant scene in Australia. And most of them, uh, they have an addition for most of the major cities. And Chris Lucas has a number of restaurants and uh, he's Melbourne based, but he's got restaurants in Sydney and bars and all that. Typical, what I would call multi-unit operator, multi-unit being under you know 15 to 12, 12 to 15 units, whether they be bars or restaurants, nightclubs and all that. And his quote is, before the pandemic struck, and I'm talking about the coronavirus uh, pandemic, obviously, but before the pandemic struck, the industry was a bit overgrown, like an overgrown forest. And it allowed itself to go in all sorts of directions. I wouldn't say it's lost its way, but in some ways, it's become very self-absorbed and very insular. Okay, now that's his particular view on it. But he likens the virus to a brush fire burning where that everything that's in its way and that now he's hopeful that the forest will regenerate with a rush, as he terms it, a rush of creative spirit that we haven't seen in a while and a, and a new wave of thought about what restaurants really are. Now, that will take some time, but that's an interesting perspective on it. And I think that it's quite possible now, we've just mentioned something, the unrest here in this country that, that's kind of taken over. If that can be brought under control very quickly and so and people can feel comfortable about going out to dine in, in major cities, I think that there is an interesting point of view there that perhaps we will suffer through, there are going to be tremendous losses in terms of the number of restaurants who close. There's no question about that. And people will at least temporarily be furloughed or put out of their job. But I could see my way clear to 2021 being one of the most creative and innovative years in the restaurant business in a long, long time with lots of new concepts, concepts that I certainly can't think of, maybe others as well. But restaurateurs are the most, still the most resilient and creative people I know. And the restaurant business is a really strong business. I know that, that I continue to say that I believe dining out patrons, people dine out for just what you said earlier, for a lot more than sustenance. They, people are hardwired for connection. They're looking to spend money. They're looking to go out and connect with family and friends. I like Chris Lucas's analogy, and I'm very hopeful that 2021, maybe 2020 is the year of the brush fire that cleans out, unfortunately, some of the restaurants that have, that have not so differentiated themselves. But 2021 really, to me, looks like a year of excitement, lots of new concepts, some new products on the supplier side, the tabletop side, and a whole lot of fun. And, and we'll find out what that is, but I'm really excited about the future. Once we get through this, this, this craziness that we've been through in 2020, 2020 definitely going to be the year we want to forget and look forward to 2021. Yeah, it's really easy to sit here and spout off about all the things that can, can happen and should happen. And I know it sounds so cliche, but there is often or always silver linings to disasters. And in its broadest sense, here there's a major obstacle, major problems, major challenges. And those, those issues are just begging for solutions. So whether it's tabletop or anything else, to do with restaurants, it's going to be a changed world. And the people that, that can that come forward with solutions are going to be are going to be winners. 
I think that things are going to be uh, streamlined in terms of, they're looking for streamlining operations. And I, and I don't want to just always dial down to cost savings. It's not always just about cost savings, because if people have solutions that make sense over the long run, they will also be winners. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about where we're going down the road, but I, we're going to go through some turbulence. There's no question. We've had some for the last couple of months. It's probably now, at least in America, going to continue. And maybe we're going to get some great creative ideas out of some of our uh, overseas partners, whether it be from Europe or Australia, whatever. But I do think 2021 is going to be a, a, a year of a, a lot of optimism and change. And um, I know, Greg, I, I, I'm going to set you up on this one because I know you have a, a strong food and food ingredient background. And I want to bring you back and I want to talk about in another session, but I want to bring you back and talk about the menus. What what will be on menus? What might be on menus in the, in the year 2021 as we change the way we think about food and in general and about dining out and what this period of, of dining in our homes has done? Has it taken us back to comfort food in a better way? Has it gone to more simpler menus? Or are we looking for something unique and different and, and maybe a little special when we dine out? And I want to I want to bring you back uh, on another session of Seat Yourself and talk to you about some of those menu ideas. Great. Anytime, Dave. Listen, Greg, it's been great having you here with us today. Thanks for joining us here on Seat Yourself. And it's always great having Greg Kirish. You can check out Greg, by the way, on our other podcast every other Thursday. Greg is a voice of reason over there in a, in a podcast of chaos where we uh, celebrate who knows what every other Thursday. And there'll be another session later this week. So Greg Kirish, great having you on board today. Thank you very much. Thanks. And thanks for the kind words. Well, that's it for this week's On the Front Lines episode of Seat Yourself. And again, I want to thank Greg Kirish for joining us today. And I especially want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And if you're not already a subscriber to our bi-monthly Tabletop Journal newsletter, I want to invite you to sign up by going to our special sign-up website. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a simple and easy sign-up, and it's free. Our newsletter covers summaries of some of the stories you may have missed on the Tabletop Journal website, and we have original content that's not on the Mothership site. So again, that newsletter sign-up website is Tabletop Journal Newsletter, all one word, tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. And don't forget to check out our other podcast every other Thursday. You can find it on all the various podcast platforms, just like you do see yourself, or you can simply go to everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. I'm Dave Turner, and thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. And always remember, Tabletop Matters. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com. Tabletop Journal.